my kind of goal and what I try to do with what I do now is to elevate each step along the way. It's like the, the work that I do now is hopefully better than the work that I did. And the work that I will do is better than the work that I do now. And I think the book for me was a way to accomplish that in the biggest way possible. This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never my best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. So this week's episode is a big treat for all the weightlifting fans out there. If you are a coach or an athlete, I think you're going to get a ton out of this one. I am joined by Max Ada and Joshua Gibson. They just came out with their new ebook, The Weightlifters Got to the Snatch. We got into the inspiration for writing that at the end. We also went pretty deep on the art of coaching and even more specifically the art of remote coaching. I think it takes a lot of different skills to be a remote coach, especially to be a successful remote coach. Anybody can get a couple athletes to sign up, but for people to create long-term results in the sport is not as easy as people think. Um, just want to mention before we get uh, the show kicked off, the new Substack is launched. I've been putting articles out there every week, so that will be linked up in the show notes. And you can go there from my Instagram. I'm also going to be putting clips out on YouTube. So just short excerpts from the podcast. So if you want to see us talk about these things, just go to YouTube. That will be uh, linked up in the show notes as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. And uh, let's send it there now. I think it'd be interesting to talk about a little bit, Max, your experience at World Championships and talk about commentating that and kind of some of your takeaways from there. I thought it was, I loved watching it and how weightlifting house covered it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it's kind of an interesting like journey for me to have come all the way, like full circle with, with my weightlifting journey. Um, and, and I guess I would summarize like that, try and tell a little story here, but like when I first, the very first image I had, of weightlifting of like that was really, like really struck at me like i'd seen the picture of vasily alexiev you know and all these like little things around lifting and you kind of had an idea of what it was but when i was like 12 years old i watched naim sulemanolu uh win the 96 olympics and there was this like i think it was like a documentary uh, maybe Discovery Channel did it, or it was on that back then. But it had uh, it had a fantastic narration, right? And so it's like the 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 announcer, the voiceover was so good. And it, my whole perception of everything in lifting was just this one thirty second clip, maybe like maybe like ten second clip, his final clean and jerk, and that like totally sucked me into the sport. But uh, it was like you know, always attached to that stuff was commentary and narration and when you you know over the years as as i became a coach and when you go through this process you know there's like such a different side of it when you're when you're the athlete there's no commentary there's no narration there's the suspense is all and can i do it right you know like am i you know, focused on this or that aspect as a coach you're focused on you know, did we prepare right? Did we do everything we can? Like, is this person, you know, is my athlete going to execute on the, this day? As a commentator now, having been through those other levels, I can totally like grasp what those people are feeling, what the athletes feeling on stage, what the, the lifters feeling on stage. Um, and now I have an opportunity, and I think Seb is very keen, keenly aware of this, but I have an opportunity to be, to be a voice that people hear that then associate moments that they might watch a thousand times and are we as commentators going to do uh do that moment justice right and so when i go back to that moment of watching i aim like you hear i think it was bob costas was was you know, mentioning something about the lift or you hear an announcer talk about it and the excitement they bring about the moment really can, can do it can go one of two ways right it can just totally blow the moment up and become like a historic amazing event right if you watched any of your favorite sporting events with or without commentary is a completely different emotional experience when there's no one there like almost like giving you 
giving you the green light to feel any flood of emotion. Think about like Steiner, 2008 gold medal. Like if that had just, if it has no commentary, it's almost like, oh, that's cool. Like this guy lifted that weight. With commentary, it's like they bring to life the story. And so, you know, having done those other things and been through the, the whole journey, been to Worlds as a coach and all these things, you, you realize like part of this is is not just, okay, we got to say what's happening, but it's like you have to kind of anticipate the competition in a different way. When we look, we sit down beforehand, we're looking at the lifters, we're looking at what's going to go on. We're kind of thinking to ourselves probably like, okay, who's going to do what? What's the story here? What's the narrative of this session? And then you try to bring that, that you try to bring that to the audience, to the fans. So you, you know, we had a, a competition in uh, Bahrain, the Asian champs, and there was a few sessions there that were pretty like not exciting, like from the perspective of like, there's no clear winner. There's no clear, like it's going to be a bunch of people lifting kind of B session lifts, you know, no, nothing special, but honestly to me, like, and I, I don't know if Seb would think the same, but like we, I feel like we did, we elevated the quality of that session to viewers by a huge amount because we could see battles unfolding, you know, whether or not it's like two people trying to lift, you know, relatively unimpressive lifts, but they're fighting and there's two or three people looking for the next spot or it's like, you know, uh, someone's struggling to not bomb out or whatever. So it's like, I kind of feel like as a commentator now, it's a different thing I'm trying to deliver to people. As a coach, you're trying to deliver performance. You're trying to deliver, can I take this person from nothing and mold them into, you know, whatever whatever their abilities are. As an athlete, you're trying to do the same for yourself. But as a commentator now, it's like, can I share the things that excited me as a lifter and the things about the sport that are like really emotionally driven? Can I bring that to somebody else? Can I, you know, shed light on a, a lift or a person doing something and be like, hey, like you should feel, um, you should be watching this. You should feel the same emotions we're feeling right now because this guy is going to do this thing or whatever. He's He needs this to win or whatever. And so it's like a totally different perspective than a totally different world than I've I've been in before. It's it's very exciting, it's very fun, but it's a yeah, it's a it's a unique thing. It's a unique opportunity. Yeah, I, I think the the cool thing uh, is that we we were talking about the the book before this and how we broke it down into three different levels for beginners, intermediate, and advanced athletes. And I think from the coaching standpoint, you have to know the technique in a way where you can explain it to someone with no knowledge, someone with some knowledge and someone with all of the knowledge. And I think that completeness of, of knowing the sport, which is what Max has, makes him a great commentator, right? It's it's completeness from the athlete perspective, knowing uh, here we have Lee Dayan, who's done these numbers and these lifts and these competitions and is in this position kind of like ranked in the world. And then, you know, the technique, you know, you know, the, you know, you know, how technique changes under different amounts of pressure, different situations, you know, the calls they need to make the timing of it all. So I think you just have this, this complete uh, perspective when you get a guy like Max Ada on, on commentary for worlds. And a lot of that's supplemented and supported by again, like 20 years of coaching, explaining something that can be as simple as jump and catch or as complicated as like, here are six phases that are measured by joint angles and like, um, you know, muscular action during the poll. Um, so you know, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. No, I was going to say, you know, in reference to that idea with the book, I think it's kind of funny because there's, there's this, this challenge, this fine line you're walking as a, as somebody who's an educator, right? Where there's a difference between being an educator and being an encyclopedia. Hmm. And you can, you can write a book or you can, you know, make a video or give someone every single piece of information that you know, but that's not really education. It's just, it's just like, here is the cumulative knowledge that I've got. It's your job to parse out what you need as an educator. And, and especially in something like writing a book, it's like what the most important things is what do we leave out of the book? Right. As a coach, when you've done this for decades, you've done this for a long time, you start to, uh, the saying is probably not right, but it's like you almost start to try to forget things and you forget them because you got what you needed from it and then you moved on and you don't need to hold on to some information. 
but you can't get to that point. You can't forget something you never knew, right? So you can't mm. be a brand new coach who's like, oh, I just don't, we don't want, you know, we don't worry about panda poles or something because yeah, they're dumb. <laughs> you could say that as a total beginner and just be like, I just formed that opinion because someone else said it. As an experienced coach, you might form that same opinion because you found out that they, they didn't work for you. And so you got rid of that. And so you moved on beyond that. And so it's, you know, when you're, when you're writing a book like this, it's important to be able to say, what is the stuff that I've learned and what can I, what can we not include? What do we not have to include in this so that we're not weighing people down with just an encyclopedic level of information? The book is extremely thorough, but a lot of it is about like saying, here's a, here's a teaching progression. Every single movement in the progression is there for a reason. And that reason isn't just because we decided it. The reason is there because in practical experience and and in the process of using it, this is what we found to be the most effective way. Or at least this is, you know, this is the current current iteration of what's effective right now. Maybe in five years that changes, right? You learn, hey, we can we can cut some of this out. And so I think it's a kind of it's kind of a thing with the book as far as like how you how you educate someone is is really about like holding back some knowledge, holding back some information in exchange for curating a much better delivery of like, hey, here's what's really going to matter. Here's what's really going to affect you, you know. And like Josh was saying, the programming section, like the programming portion of the book is like, you know, it's it's designed in a way that's going to work for somebody who's at the level of someone purchasing a book versus just being like all right, like, you know, here's how, here's how muscle contracts, right? right? Let's start there. And then it's like, you know, here's what a rep is. Here's what a set is. And like, that's just like, you're just building on everything. So yeah, I, I just, I, I think that's important to, to think about when you think about like the roles you fill when you do something like write a book or do any of these things. Yeah. I think, um, you know, a master in anything, like a, you think about a black belt, somebody who's been doing something for as long as you have, or, you know, 10, 15 years, you almost forget what it's like to be a beginner. So sometimes y you might want to give that person advice, but you're not able to portray that in a way that they understand. So a day one weightlifter is not going to, anything that you say to him, basically, they're just like, okay, I trust you. You're the coach, you're the master, but are you going to be able to relate to that person? So, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough job that you, both of you guys have. Yeah. And I think the way you do that, right. That, that perspective taking is by utilizing feedback correctly. Right. Like, and that's what a good coach does is you, you put something out into a, a program or a technical change. Um, you put, you put out information and then you see how it's integrated and applied in the, the result. And then you iterate on that and you just keep iterating. And it's like, well, you, it's like, you can't imagine what it's like to be a beginner because you can't eliminate all the, the stored knowledge you have. And it's like, yeah, but I can tell how they integrate it and use it. And if that's better or worse or more of what we want or less. So the, the true test is here's a cue. Did it work? No. Try it again. Did it work? No. Abandon it. What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? And it's this process of iteration and building in using the feedback as the thing, the mechanism by which you make decisions. And uh, that's that's coaching, right? The process of like applying something and using feedback and then just doing the same thing over and over and over. And the reason you become encyclo encyclopedic is to have more information to put out, to get feedback from, to then change. Um, so like the coaching process, again, highlighting that word process is like, that can be applied with beginners, intermediate, advanced athletes, elite athletes across the board is it's like this process of best guess and then re-guess, re like test, uh, guess, test, guess, and then you get closer and closer to what you need. And I think, you know, uh, Max and I have just worked with enough variety to know roughly what most people need when they need it and how they need it. And like, if we can't do that. We just try again. So yeah. based on how the book's been taken up so far, you know, I think it's been like received really well. Uh, we'll kind of use that to, again, inform like the next one and then the next one and the next one and see if we can get closer to, you know, what most people need. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I that, that exact process is funny for me because it's like having released the app and, and being around like the tech world 
you really grasp like how important like the speed of implementation is and like how like the idea of like like perfection is such a paralyzing thing right. right and like most like a lot of procrastinators are just perfectionists right they're just they they're waiting for the perfect moment to start something how they feel and it's got to be like the right environment and blah blah and so like something like a book or something like coaching it's like you you get yourself into a place where it's like coaches might get stuck because they're looking for the perfect cue or the yeah. perfect movement or perfect thing there's definitely like decisions you can make that you are higher conviction like yeah. we're probably gonna snatch we, we're <laughs> gonna clean and jerk like we know those are like high conviction choices but anything that's like a a non-significant impact like whether we do hang snatch or block snatch or power snatch or whatever, or like what, you know, you know, curls, hammer curls, tricep extensions, or, you know, do we do them with a cable or we do it with a dumbbell? Like those decisions are so much less significant that you don't have to be as high conviction. And so you can be much more or, uh, uh, like, like testing. You can try and then move to the next thing, try and move to the next thing. Um, you know, do a movement, do a special exercise, try something different. If you don't see the result you want, move to the next thing because they're, they're somewhat less significant in their danger. They're not going to damage anything. It's almost like, it's almost like adopting a mentality of like, it's better to be wrong than to be right. Because if you're wrong, you're getting more definitive feedback. If you're right, you might not be sure that that's exactly why it's working. Right. But if you can be like, Hey, we tried panda poles, for example, like, and those didn't, those really didn't do anything we were thinking they were going to do. You move on to the next thing, um, which is kind of funny. It's just like a different, a very different perspective, which is like the goal should be like, how fast can we get as many attempts at trying a different variation or thing or, you know, rep scheme or training program? How can we do that in a non-invasive, non-damaging way to the process that will get us more and more answers as to what is a better path to choose. Yeah, I mean, the only way to really find completeness is to be wrong a lot. Yeah. And like yeah. The, 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 the surest way to circumvent that is to have success immediately in a lot of it. And then it's like, oh, you just double down. Like why change anything, right? I'd be interested to just hear how both of you guys got got into coaching in the first place and how, I mean, this is still a niche sport at this point, but... I mean, your living is dependent on coaching weightlifting. So even even <laughs> to to talk about people who are thinking about getting into coaching, like how do you specifically know when it was the right thing for you and, and how long did it even take before you were able to do this as a full-time job? I know that's a lot there, but it, I'd love to kind of hear from both of you about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can start, I guess. Uh, I, I became a coach because I got injured. Uh, mm -hmm. I would have, I would have not fallen into the, the role of coaching. I didn't pursue it. I knew that when I was a lifter, I was always very interested in the process of coaching. Um, I looked up to coaches a lot. You know, I looked up to my coach as a coach. I looked up to Abajaya, the Bulgarian coach. Like I revered a lot of coaches and I revered the programming and the training and the process. Um, and so there was a lot there underlying that already but i injured my wrist pretty severely i couldn't do the lifts anymore i couldn't compete in weightlifting anymore or do the movements and uh that basically you know like like literally what you described which is like i had to make a living so i was like well i'm coaching now but it was always in my mind in the beginning like well what am i going to do with my life now you know i was like just kind of doing it and then as you start to do it and you start to feel some of those positive things like you're helping people and and like that's rewarding and then like it became really cool because it's like oh you know uh <laughs> it sound weird but like i can like like i can like kick someone else's ass with a lifter like i can like get someone else to beat somebody and that's really fun like watching my athlete win and and crush someone else in competition is like i don't know there's something very satisfying about like you know it's like going to battle right um and so, yeah, so like that was kind of the, the segue into actually becoming a coach. And then obviously, like I really embraced it much more heavily as I as I kind of moved past that, like 
you know, got really into like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to like, you know, drive everything I can as, as far as learning and, and this kind of stuff to become a better coach. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I, I don't know how many weightlifting coaches end up, I don't know how many people end up like seeing weightlifting and being like, I'm going to be a professional weightlifting coach to make money. Uh, and if they do, I, I'm, I'm surprised. It seems like a, a not super lucrative uh, endeavor. Yeah, Max, but when did you feel like you had the complete conviction that like, this is the thing I'm going to do and there's no turning back in the immediate future? Oh, I still am not there. <laughs> it's, every, it's an everyday, like, it's every day I look and I'm like, oh, shit, what, like, maybe, maybe I should do something else in my life right now. I should buy, I should buy, I should buy a, a laundromat. My wife and I should buy, like, a five laundromats and live off that. Uh, I would say I would say it was kind of like once I sort of moved beyond, uh, once I kind of, you know, like, I would say ended powerlifting. Like, once I kind of got tired of powerlifting, I was like, I, I'm going to really focus on on coaching. Um, I mean, we started a gym in 2012 and so that was like a moment I mean like if you think about the actions that made it conviction like yeah. that was it like you know you're not going to put everything you have into a gym if you don't think you're going to be a coach um, yeah yeah and then I'll say from from my perspective like I I think I got into lifting and I uh, just like strength training in general and I remember I, I started training with a guy I went to high school with and I just knew that I wanted to kind of be in charge of like the programming and and like, Hey, we're going to lift on these days and, and try to organize it in that sense. And then every kind of like training partner I had after that, it was kind of the same story. It's like, I want to figure out the programming. I want to figure out the the technical side of things. Um, I, I liked trying to develop a broader and more complete understanding of perf like performance, strength, performance, uh, weightlifting, powerlifting, uh, kind of like the results of, uh, of resistance training. It was just naturally something that was really interesting. I think early on I read squat every day by Matthew Perryman. And that was like, I really, that was my jam. Like that was my shit. <laughs> and so I, I could kind of feel like this connectedness with that, that type of information and that style of, of thinking about training and, and human physiology. Um, and that kind of developed over time. And uh, I kind of in kind of in conjunction with my education, initially, I wanted to go into like neuroscience um, and study that for no particular reason other than an interest in the way the mind works. And then I was like, oh, I'm not a big math guy, so I'll do exercise science. And then I started to really pivot towards uh, coaching and then supplementing it with education. Uh, and then I was like. I think this remote coaching thing is something I'm going to try to make a lot of money doing, which is not, it's the most backwards way of thinking about it. Uh, so I like started working with like one person making like some money, uh, started working with a few people. And then I was like, okay, I'm just like all in on it. And I'll just do other things on the side to like supplement my income so I can coach and, and train. Uh, and those things kind of fell out of, of um, the picture, you know, as they needed to. And, I think it wasn't until, you know, a few years ago that I was really making like enough money to actually live on or support myself with coaching full time. Like when I say full time, Max knows it's like seven days a week being yeah. in the gym as much as you can be um, and just thinking about training all the time, reading about it, programming, uh, talking to people about it. And now it's like a continuation of that path, the next step and then the next step, the next step. And um, actually, you know, with the help of Max and, and Joe and kind of working with them at their gym, I actually feel like this is a business that if you, if you work really hard and apply yourself and you're really committed and you really love it, like you can make a decent living from it. Um, so for people who are listening and like, you know, where am I at in my journey? It's like, I don't know, you are where you're at, but it's just, it's, it's, it's not so much about that. It's about the the next step and the next step kind of like with coaching, it's like just putting something on the paper and then iterating and reiterating and, and kind of seeing that process through to its conclusion, which is, I don't know, maybe it's uh, coaching at the Olympics, eventually coaching at Worlds, uh, having a big youth team, maybe it's getting a PhD, maybe it's opening a massive gym or a facility. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, and I don't think you can know, but just investing in the process uh, as much as possible. I think that's kind of what I've 
always done and i think max that's what he's always done too yeah and you see these you see um in usaw now specifically there's a lot of these i guess you call them super teams where there's 100 athletes 200 athletes on the same team and you think oh if one or two coaches is running that that's a lot of money that they're making a month but you didn't see the process of them having one athlete at the gym and then two athletes and then five and then ten but it's i think especially as um, weightlifting grows in popularity on Instagram, you kind of, I think people rush into it like, Ooh, I could be a weightlifting coach and you don't even have to be in person anymore. You can just do it remote. And uh, I don't think it's that easy. Yeah. I think it's funny. It's funny to me because like, I think a coach and an athlete accomplishing something, it's almost like you have to consider it. uh, It's not, it's, it can be formulaic to a certain degree, but in a lot of cases it's, it's a, it's like, I would describe it much more like a trade, right? Like, like a carpenter or a, you know, a fabricator, someone who makes something right. Like every single t- job you do is a little different, right? You might be a guy who builds spiral staircases and like, so you go to the house and like there's principles and concepts that are the same, like, you know, you need stairs and you need this and that. And like you, you have some stuff, but you go in and it's like, maybe you work for a client that like just doesn't drive with you. Like they want some kind of weird style. It just doesn't like, you don't really do that well. Or maybe they want some weird, you know, thing that you can't do. And so coaching is a lot like that. And so, you know, like big teams and like the remote coaching thing can work really well. Um, and then can also fail. Like there's just athletes that just don't do well with it. Um, I don't know if anyone else has ever done this, but I've had five American record holders and every single one of them was coached remotely. Like, like only two of them I actually work with in the gym, like on any regular basis, but three of them were 100% remote when I coached them and they, and they, they broke records. And so to me, like that's a level of like, yeah, remote coaching can work for sure. Uh, but, but you know, there was how many people that just wouldn't work in that scenario, right? And so it's a funny thing like where it's like you can get these bigger and bigger teams, you get these bigger and bigger things. And it's like it might just be that somebody is like sort of they have a system or a recipe that, that kind of fits well with a lot of people, you know? And so they sell it and it works and it, a lot of people latch on. It's popular at the moment. And then, you know, but like, there's a lot of people who just don't plug into that model that don't fit into it. And so it's like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing where it's like, you can get people that, that just don't click with a certain way of doing things. And I've had people like that too. Very talented people that just like the remote thing was challenging, you know, like the, the feedback and this and that, the timing and just all these things. Uh, but then they go to an in-person coach and it's like a night and day thing. It's like a totally just awakened into a different thing. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing, right? Like you, you're saying like the whole like super team thing is interesting to me because, because it does like, it does make me wonder sometimes like how much of it is like, you just get a person who has like a great personality and they hit on all cylinders and they do that job very well. Whereas some of us might come in and see like, oh, okay, like I'm going to be a wafting coach. I'll just remote thing thinking it's like, you know, thinking it's all about like copy and paste and then cash your check, uh, which it probably turns into for a lot of people. Right. And, and you know what? It's like, in all honesty, like that may be the system people use, right? Like, like, uh, you know, some coaches are just like, yeah, the program is not important. So like, you're going to get the same program, but my coaching relationship with you is super important. And so that might be the thing that they drive home. So not to like, saying you know if you have a template or something like that it's wrong but yeah do you think there's anything that stands out specifically that helped those american records like is there a trade or two that those athletes all had that you were able to work well remotely uh yeah there's a couple traits first is extremely talented like you're not you're not breaking american records if you don't have uh the right kind of foundation right you got to be those people were all just supremely talented individuals in the beginning. Um, but the other traits are the, 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 the traits that are, I think are most important is somebody who is, I would say someone who is like self-reliant, 
who, who takes the responsibility onto themselves to say, I want to get better. And so they're proactive in what they're doing. And then my role as a coach is augmented by that. We have a, we, there's a, a famous Cal rugby team, right? Cal Berkeley has this incredible lineage of rugby, like undefeated for decades. And uh, head coach Jack Clark, we did a podcast with Jack Clark, but he has a great, he has a great like set of like sort of, uh, how do we call them? Like, like life motto type things. And one of them is that everybody on the team is required to be a leader. And the definition, their definition of leadership is making everyone around you more productive. So your actions have to be filtered through, am I making the people around me more productive with my actions? And if that's the case, then everybody is a leader, right? And so that is something that I think was 100% embodied by those people is that they looked at what actions am I doing and is that making Max more effective at his job? And I would take the same approach. Am I helping, am I giving them the information they need to be more effective in their training? Are they, you know, reporting to me their body weight, reporting to me how they feel, being being honest, being proactive with like, hey, I, you know, I didn't get my accessories done or didn't do this. And so that was like a huge, huge defining quality for somebody who's going to be successful in remote coaching, which seems so simple, right? Like you have to really want to get better. And like that requires that you you put in the forefront of your actions every day, you know, things that are going to make this process work. People that, that, that are kind of the other way around where their expectation is that like someone's going to lift them up and carry them there, they just won't do well. They won't do well in any scenario, but especially with something like remote coaching because it's so easy to just vanish and disappear, right? You don't see this person for two hours during the day. Yeah, to flip that question just slightly, you know, when you see Shakesha Johnson, like her legs are massive. Like she has a ton of muscle, right? And she can she can jump. She's explosive. She's very, very athletic. So it's like, okay, that's, you know, it's part of the recipe for a very high-level athlete. Max, in your opinion, from the coaching perspective, are there certain traits that allow coaches to develop American record holders or Olympians? Yeah. I would say if I was going to describe, like, if you want to be a good coach and I was going to describe to you and even to myself, like, here's what you need to start adopting or consider. Are you this kind of person? What you want to start adopting is, is this is like, I would say a couple of things. One is, is be very persistent. You have to be the person who's chasing after what you want. Right. And, and you have to look at the world as like, I can get anything to happen. I just have to keep, uh, going after it right so like that that kind of trickles down to everything else which is like okay i've got a you know i've got 20 people on my roster i'm going to send them all messages regularly i'm going to be the one reaching out to make communication uh you know i'm going to be persistent about like demanding they do the things i'm asking them to do right is your body weight on point are you doing your nutrition are you did you do your polls last night so you have to be like an outwardly going after the people that you're working with and, and like pursuing, like you want to be at the forefront of things, pursuing, you know, them. The second thing is you want to be a, I would say a detailed person or like an organized person, but that's, that's a given is that you have to be somewhat organized. I don't think that's critical. You have to be uh, detailed and organized in the sense that you are putting remote coaching is a little bit different than in-person coaching because in-person coaching, you can kind of get away with the luxury of like, let's change this on the fly. Oh, you're not looking so good here. Let's do a different exercise. Um, you know, unless you're like actually texting back and forth, remote coaching requires a lot more forethought into like, what is the structure of the program? What's this workout? What's next workout? You know? And like, you know, when I was coaching like Alyssa Ritchie remotely, a lot of the time I spent was looking at the workouts. I would build them and then look at them over and over and over again and be like, okay, like, is this going to be exactly what we want? Because I can't afford to make mistakes here. I can't afford to be like, oh, that's too heavy for today. Let's just drop down. Because if she does a workout and for whatever reason I'm not around for her to text me, like she has to make a decision about it. And I don't want to have to put all that extra onus on her because she might feel insecure if I'm basically giving her something that she's constantly having to adjust, right? Um, 
So it has to be like, you have to have that presence of mind to be like, you know, double checking and care a lot about the process of programming and training. So those two things, those two factors are huge. And then finally, uh, you have to be good at communication. Like you just have to be the kind of person who enjoys communicating with people and be proactive about it, right? You can't be a, a person who's like, you know, who wants to just sort of hide and disappear. And, you know, it's like, I don't think you're going to do as well as a coach, a remote coach that way, because uh, you're just going to fall behind, right? You're going to get in a place where like things kind of, you know, maybe the relationship starts to dwindle or trickle, or you don't have a good pulse, a good finger on the pulse of what your athletes are feeling. Maybe they're all like, oh, these fucking panda poles are ridiculous. Why is he making us do this six days a week? Right. And you just like never ask. And so then they start to mirror your responses, which are really shallow and, and far, few and far between. And then they start to drift away. And then it just becomes this, this chasm. And it's like, you're not really there. Um, then one more, one more thing I say as a caution is, you know, you have to have strong boundaries about this is for any coach. You have to have very strong boundaries about what's appropriate and what's not in a relationship with athletes. And it like, goes without saying, like, all the way down to, like, safe sport violations, right? Um, obviously, like, you know, there's definitely, like, we don't shower with our athletes. Uh, <laughs> like, there's, like, some serious boundaries there. But, like, you know, boundaries as, like, like um, Jack Clark, again, references that a team is not a family, and, and I, I, I love that because I feel like this day and age, a big marketing aspect of things is to constantly call everything a family. Our gym's like a family. Our team's like a family. Problem with that is that families basically are stuck with each other. And your family is your family. Whether your family hates you or loves you, you have a great relationship or not, you're stuck. And so resentment can develop and build and create really negative energies, really negative relationships. A team is not a family. You are here on the team. Everyone is part of the team upholding a high standard and people that violate that standard and don't have boundaries will be removed from the team. And so it, it establishes this sense that like you're on this team and we're on this team and we all have boundaries that we uphold because it preserves sort of the, the sanctity is the wrong word, but it preserves the, the pureness of the team in that everyone is professional. We're showing up to do a job. We are respecting each other as professionals. We are respecting each other in that regard. And that creates a much more, a much more strong base for communication. There's an expectation that this is a professional relationship. We talk to each other like that, we communicate like this. There isn't any kind of looseness. There isn't any kind of one person's gonna walk all over the other or that someone is gonna, you know, you manipulate you into wanting to do something different. You're not going to give as a coach when it's not appropriate. Um, and yeah, just like that level of boundary needs to be is super important for coaching. Yeah. I think you're spot on too with, um, you know, athletes who won't do well with remote coaching probably won't do well with in-person either. Like if people aren't going to, you know, talk to their, if they're not going to have a conversation with their coach, if they're in person and they're say, you know, my wrist hurts every, every time I snatch my wrist hurts. If you can't have a conversation with your coach and say, Hey, my wrist hurts when I'm doing this, then it, it, the same thing's going to happen whether you're in person or remote. And I think, I mean, you see it all the time. People tend to jump around coach to coach to coach and they always have an issue with you know this coach did it this way and I didn't like that so I tried it tried something else and I think you can I mean it's so easy to switch nowadays that people are always you know you see oh uh, catalyst that's Maddie Rogers coach I'm gonna get coached like Maddie Rogers and it's obviously not gonna happen and you don't deserve to get coached like Maddie Rogers does either yeah yeah it's a it's a funny thing too because there's there's a lot of like I think it's a huge net positive to weightlifting that there's people charging money to do weightlifting. I think it would be, it would destroy the sport. I, I would never want it to be a situation where like there, there should be competition. There should be profits being made. People should charge for their services. It makes everything more legitimate. Right. But I think a part of that, one, one of the slight negatives of that is that, you know, there's sometimes the ability to, you know, there's like the charlatans there's people that try to like you know come off as like an expert they mimic what experts look like and then they sell that to the world right so they, they the their 
they're capturing what you know what what is you know looks genuine and and they don't actually have anything behind that and so it comes out as like you know hey you know train with like a, you know maddie rogers coach i'm not saying catalyst is but like it'd be that kind of thing right um but it's like it's so quick because like now there's just like this huge base of coaches there's zero barrier to entry anyone can be a wafting coach and anyone can claim to be an accomplished wafting coach right and there's really no there's no barrier to that uh and so you get a lot of this like where people will come in as an athlete they'll become uh, you know a remote coach a remote athlete for somebody do it for three months or three weeks or whatever and be like oh it sucks and move to the next person and so it's like this becomes this thing is the solution is to find someone else rather than the solution is to you know stick with this coach because this coach is the person that you know the only person in your town that does weightlifting coaching so you're kind of stuck there and then you and the athlete grow together um it does create a lot of that that kind of issue that like you're saying is like it's so easy to bounce around yeah and i think i think not only does it do a disservice to the athlete but it deprives the coach of long-term athlete development and like feedback with the same person over the course of years to figure out what does that process actually look like because that's how you kind of differentiate what matters from what doesn't when you work with someone for a few months it's like yeah you can jam a bunch of stress into their training to get results but you don't see what happens on the back end. So it's like, how do we manage a process that's 10 years long, not 10 months long or 10 weeks long or 10 days long? And I think, you know, it's this mutual process of, of growth on each end. So um, I think it's important, you know, for athletes to stay with coaches for the athlete's sake, but also the coach's sake. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't see people who are, I mean, there's not a ton who are getting into the sport and thinking about 10 years down the road. Like, what, what am I going to look like in 10 years from now? Everybody's like, oh, I'm doing the Arnold. It's three weeks away. We got to max out. We got to be on point for this yeah. one. Yeah, well, Max, yeah. I, I almost wonder, you know, if I would have thought, because I'm, I'm hitting, you know, close to a decade in weightlifting now. If I would have thought when I first started, I'll be here in 10 years, I wonder what I would have changed. You've been in weightlifting for like 20 years. If you would have thought I'll be in weightlifting for two decades, what would you have changed when you first started? Well, so it's an interesting question because I would say things, the environment changed way more than I expected, right? When I first got in, when I was first weightlifting, like, you know, the irony is my first coach, Steve Goff, uh, he was remote coaching back then. This is like early 2000s, like 2002, right? He was remote coaching people via email and phone calls. He was like sending e emails to people and like, send me a video of your lifting. And like, he'd talk to him on the phone. You got to do this and that. Here's how you train. And he was just doing this all the time, um, which is kind of funny. But like to know back then, what's the, what's the, what is the entire field going to look like? What's the industry going to look like in 10 years is so hard to know. I would have, the things I would have done differently are I would have spent more time on, I would have allocated certain time and energy to like professional development and say, okay, it's really important for me to be learning on a regular basis. So I would, I would say, you know, like it's important to have mentors. Like I would have tried to find more mentors and I would have dedicated been like, I got to dedicate, you know, a percentage of my, time and money to improving my skill and my craft right and then like really been dedicated about setting aside that time i did a lot because i was interested and i did lots of reading in this net but a lot of times as a as a coach you just get tired right you're coaching a lot of people and you just kind of get to a point where like things are working but you're not challenging yourself and so if you're not challenging yourself you're not going to improve on what you've got and so your your formula works until maybe it stops working or maybe the population that it worked on doesn't train at your gym anymore and you've got a different type of athlete or a different type of demographic. So that was a, that's a big one. It's like it's really important to be putting energy, effort, money, time into improving as a coach and improving as a, as a, uh, uh, you know, leader. And then the other things I would have done is like, I would have spent same kind of time and energy, like learning professional skills, like, like, you know, for me, just like, yeah, I wish I'd have learned more video editing and like, you know, just like as simple as it is, like advertising, promotion, like 
those are part of a business, a healthy business that can actually sell its products and services. Like there's nothing negative about that. It's like you, how much of a better coach would you be if you didn't have to worry about your paycheck? You could focus more on the coaching you have. Okay. Our gym's full. We've got full classes, full membership, uh, you know, or I got a full roster. Like I'm not concerned with that. I'm focused more on my energy on like just getting people, getting people coached and doing the thing that I, I'm here to do. So that was a big one. It's like those sort of skills that are outside of the coaching realm. It's like I would have spent way more time on that early on and been like, that's important. Because when you're early in it and where I was when I started, which was like, oh, I'll probably be doing something different in five years because I can't weightlift anymore. Uh, you know, it, it definitely set that in the wrong direction. Because for me, I always thought of it as like, it's just for the next year or the next month. And like, if that's all you're focused on, you're going to struggle to get, you know, uh, that ten, the next 10 years is not going to happen, right? So you have to really be focused on like, what is the long term? Like, I'm going to be a coach for 30 years. What do I need to build now to make sure that happens? Mm. How about you, Josh? What would you change? You know, it's kind of echoing Max. I feel like we had similar backgrounds uh, or we have similar backgrounds in that I focused a lot on programming technique, the coaching side of things. And, you know, it's paid off a lot. Uh, I wouldn't have the opportunities that I, I do have if I didn't, but I'm just so inept at everything else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like marketing, it's just one, I have no interest in it, but I, I wouldn't know how to do yeah. it if I tried. Um, uh, I think also, I don't know, being more committed at the start to like the being more committed to the product I had at the start. And I think not just like shying away from, from being, being confident in it and knowing that it's, it's good. And I think, you know, as Max said, when you're focused, when you, when you don't have a, a big roster and you're not making enough money, not only do you kind of worry about, you know, surviving month to month, but it's also, you don't get as much exposure to as many athletes, which doesn't necessarily give you that confirmation that like, Oh yeah, I'm really good at this. If you coach a hundred people in, you know, 80 to 90 have a lot of success or, or 70 to 80 have a lot of success. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, that's not by chance. If you have like five people or 10 people, which is probably what I had for a really long time, it's like, you can probably have a little more doubt because it's like, okay, like five people are getting better. You know, does that extend to better athletes or different athletes? Uh, so there's just more question marks, like the, the less experience you have. And I think being able to like commit into it, or at least like try to commit to get more people involved, get more athletes, build a bigger team. Um, and I, I think I kind of jumped around from gym to gym when I started just kind of working as like a weightlifting coach in the back corner of a, a gym that didn't necessarily specialize in it or a gym that didn't want to want a weightlifting club. They just had platforms. I think finding a spot that could house me and I could put more into and invest more into that took quite a while to find. And once I did, it paid off tremendously. And it it was really cool because you can actually develop beyond coaching five people you can coach 15 20 25 you can also host meets uh you can become more involved in the community with weightlifting uh, you can become more of a presence and, and you can i think reach more people that way so i think just investing in myself earlier earlier on having confidence that you know you if you work hard and you persist you'll figure it out so it's like let's figure it out with more people and more athletes and in a better situation. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, let's shift gears a little bit on, on the book. Cause I'd love to kind of dive into what the inspiration was to, to write that and really who you guys are targeting with, uh, the weightlifters guide to the snatch. We, we wrote it to make money and it's for anybody who's got cash. <laughs> no, uh, that's obviously, obviously, you know, one third of that. I'm just going to clip. I'm uh, just going to clip the rest of what you're going to say. Uh, I mean, so I originally wrote like a snatch manual. And so I had written a snatch manual uh, and I'd written a few other books. And uh, for me, like, I think with Josh coming on and, and, and adding to the book and, and basically rewriting a lot, and we, we doubled the size at least of the book. It, uh, I have, I, you know, I didn't even go to college 
and something to me that I always liked was that it's it's great when you confuse someone who's got a lot of like real world experience and someone who has uh, a lot of very formal education, right? Um, Josh's knowledge of sports science and training and, you know, the, the, the sort of nitty gritty detail that he knows on so many different things as it pertains to like, you know, just research and, and anything in that realm is such a huge, like, I feel like that's like a huge piece of the puzzle that makes something like a book like this mm-hmm. really cool. And so to be able to say, hey, we've got a book that's like, there's a lot of like hardcore coaching and knowledge and experience that's gone into this. And look at it, look at what else we have backing it up. There's somebody here who's a sports scientist, you know, uh, uh, he's got a master's degree, he'll be a PhD at some point. Like this is this is legit. It's not just like, here's a $12 ebook of like five things that I ripped off from, you know, that I just kind of shit out, right? So I think also it's like Josh and I talked, and maybe Josh can answer this too. Like we talked a lot about when we're writing the book, when the book was, you know, kind of being developed was like, like um, let's kind of take somebody from like, you don't really know a lot about snatching or you, you kind of are aware of it to like, Hey, now you can have a thorough grasp and understanding of like the, the, the history of the lift, like some background, some backdrop, why things are done. Here's practical stuff to grab onto and then here's like more in-depth kind of like theoretical or, you know, I would say like science-y kind of like, you know, very, very like high level stuff. So you can kind of walk through the book as anybody. And it's literally like the ultimate guide to snatching. Mm. Like we have so much in this book that's valuable. That's like we're, we're presenting all that to somebody to say like, Oh wow! Anyone who buys the books and read it, reads it all the way through will have a great grasp and understanding of all these different aspects of the lift. Not just you know, here's a quick guide like do these drills, do this, do that, and you're done. Um, and so, like to me, it's always important to be able to like, you know, be able to provide something of value to people, right? That's above and beyond just like oh, here's the next, you know, here's another ebook. Yeah, and if you so, if you go to my website. It's uh, philosophicalweightlifting.com. I wrote an article called Good Work. Uh, and this concept from Ryan Doris, where he just talks about like what good work is, like high quality work. And it's it's doing something that's done so, so well that it it, it actually like impresses you when you you look back at it and think about it and, and read through it or, or, or finger through it. And I think for me, my kind of goal and what I try to do with what I do now is to elevate each step along the way. It's like the, the work that I do now is hopefully better than the work that I did. And the work that I will do is better than the work that I do now. And I think the book for me was a way to accomplish that in the biggest way possible at this point in time. And I feel like we did. I mean, like from from step one to the release, uh, I think Max kind of challenged, you know, both of us to just kind of continually elevate it. It's like the number of people we had involved, the number of steps it it took to one, get something down for people to edit, but then the number of people we had editing it, the, iter- the number of iterations. Uh, I mean, we had Sally French, she's like a copywriter for Nerd Wallet or something, but she looked at it like five times and went through the entire thing. And that was like five different iterations just from her. And we had Chris, Chris Tabor, PhD, he looked over it, had my buddy look over it. I looked over it, Max looked over it. We had other people read it. Um, and then when it came to formatting, we hired a guy that uh, we brought on a guy, Brian, uh, Byron Garcia, who works with Virus and like a, bother, a bunch of other big name brands. And the number of iterations with him, we have like a 60 email chain of just like copy after copy after copy. And, you know, it was, it was frustrating in the moment because it's like this small detail needs to be changed. But looking back at it, they were all great decisions to make. And I think what Max has done for me and, and what I appreciate, but also like, I kind of struggle with is that it's always like, let's take it a step further and, and a step further and a step further. And um, I think yeah, it just kind everybody. Of... Yeah. Everybody hates that about me. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Daniel, the developer on the app hates that too. <laughs> but like, ultimately then you look back on something that took, you know, it was from July to mid November when it was finally like complete. And it's like, well, that was actually like really worth it and, and turned out to be a really great product where, 
you know, people have been making uh, Instagram posts about it and you look, you look at it and you're like, that's a, that's a pretty book. It's like really yeah. well done. Um, so from my perspective, it was really an endeavor of like good work and just putting yeah. out something that I, I, I think we're both proud of uh, and the people involved, they're, they're proud of too. And then it's on the back end of, but it's got to be with weightlifting and performance because that's just all I, all that's a lot of what I know and, and what I care about. And that's what I'm able to contribute to the world. So let's talk about training. Let's talk about skill acquisition. Let's talk about um, the history of weightlifting. Let's talk about all of these things that I think about all the time uh, and then make something that's packaging it the best way possible. And I think we were able to do that. And it's a complete treatment from A to Z. And uh, it was just like, well done. So we're going to top that with the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think it's like exactly like what Josh saying too. Like that's such a great like good work. It's like a lot of it is like okay, if you're gonna do something, like we should do it as as well as we can, right? Like that's the goal. Doesn't mean that always happens, but like yeah, you should be you should be like you should do something that's so good and so significantly loved. Like make a product that's loved by the people that buy it, and and you'll be lasting it's like a lasting legacy on the industry yeah. you're part of right and to not do that to just be someone who's like just everything what's the lowest barrier to entry like what can i just shit out there that will work for a week and quick sales and be done like that's just such a in my opinion like a shitty way to do things right you might as well just go do that somewhere else right because the wasting markets are tiny why would you why would you do that but yeah, like it's all, it's very much about like, hey, what can we what can we produce that is our mark that we get to leave on on the sport, right? I could even see like, like I even knowing the book now, like I could see us it could double in size yeah. from where it is now with with pretty much with ease. Like there's so much information that could still be put into the book and still be elaborated on, right? Um, it could get bigger and bigger, right? It could one day be like a something ridiculous, right? Um, if we ever go that route, I don't know, but like, yeah, it's like to be proud of something you've made, I think is probably it's like the wor most worthwhile pursuit in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. One yeah. of the things I was uh, the most interested in was reading about the Olympics in uh, the early 1900s yeah. and just, I think it was the <laughs> 1904 Olympics, the tiebreaker for the two top weightlifters was pushups. <laughs> That's crazy. And now, now people are worried about weightlifting out of the Olympics, but it could get a lot worse. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like that whole section was like when Josh and I sat down, I was like, let's just, let's add some history of the list. Like let's add the history of the, of, of the snatch. And it was super cool. Cause Josh, Josh does a great job of getting like great guests on his podcast. And we got this guy who, uh, who basically gave us the entire history of, of like the Olympics and modern weightlifting. And uh, it was like, it's so funny to think of like moments in time where you're like, you mean that like weightlifting for like, like if all of our lifting combined, you know, everyone in this, on this podcast, let's say it's 40 years of lifting experience here. Like there was a period of time for 40 years that people did split snatches. Mm. And it's like, you could have gotten into the sport of lifting, lifted your entire career, retired coach people, retired from that and have never done <laughs> anything other than like this weird sport so it's like the history of it it's just like cool to me that like wow there's a lot there that the sport is evolved now and we might all think that it's this is it this is the pinnacle but who knows right like in five years maybe maybe it is way different maybe we get kicked out of the olympics and suddenly it's like we're back to doing like getting judged on style or like you know the the push-up competition at the end is like a thing right that's like that's that I really love that part too. It's just like cool to be able to look and be like, oh shit, like this sport was like weird and way different and way weirder and like things evolved and changed and that that could very well happen in the future too. Yeah, and I think I, I remember I used to listen to a lot of like the the weightlifting talk podcast when I got into weightlifting and they would talk about the contact rule in the sixties eventually yeah. changing and how you know before sixty five you couldn't make contact with the body so the bar would just kind of pull in front. Uh, and then eventually that was changed in 65 to allow brush and then in 69 to allow full contact. Uh, and then the, the clean and press that was abolished in 72. 
And it's like, okay, those were like big changes that people know about. But a lot of people don't know that like in the late 1800s, early 1900s, like it was dumbbells. <laughs> like it was, yeah, it was yeah. one arm, one arm curls and one arm jerks. And uh, again, like spinning barbells on your feet. And like, it just, it it's comical and it doesn't make any sense. But if you also appro approach it with like this curiosity, or like what would change? It's like, maybe we go to a sport where there's one attempt and you call yep. those numbers and you come out and take it. And if you, if you miss, you lose. It's like, maybe that's viable. Maybe other big overhauls are viable, um, which is what can keep it interesting. And almost what you have to do if you want to stay in weightlifting for like 10, 20, 30 years is figure out like, oh, where are we at and where are we going? And how do I kind of keep up with it and, and stay open to it? Yeah, for sure. Well, I got to wrap this. Uh, my computer is getting ready to die here. Where can uh, people find the book and where can they find you guys? Yeah, so if, if you go to weightliftinghouse.com, uh, you click on the USA store. If you're in the US, you can go to books and then it'll be the weightlifter's guide to the snatch. Uh, you can pick it up. Uh, again, a, a super great resource uh, and, and it helps support Max and I. So we really, really appreciate that. When you do pick it up, take a picture, share it on your social media, tag us. We'll we'll kick it around. Uh, just getting it into as many people's hands as possible so they can learn more about weightlifting. Uh, as far as where they can find me, you can go to Josh underscore Phil WL. That's P-H-I-L-W-L on Instagram, philosophicalweightlifting.com and everywhere where else. Uh, and before I end the show, because this is like my whole, you know, podcasting spiel, Max, uh, take it away. You can, uh, you can find, uh, you can find me uh, at Instagram, uh, Max underscore Ada, A-I-T-A. You can contact me at teamada.com for remote coaching or consultations. Uh, you can check out the weightlifting.ai app uh, at weightlifting.ai. And uh, yeah, if you do get the book, feel free. I would love, I think we'd love to have testimonials. Anyone who reads it, you know, share a testimonial. If it's good, we'll repost it. If it's bad, we'll delete it and uh, forget you existed. <laughs> well, I love it. Thanks guys for coming on.